welcome to the Education Innovators Podcast. I'm Eric Byron, and it's an honor to host this show where we get to hear from talented educators who are willing to share their stories of the incredible things they are doing in learning environments all over the world. <laughs> this is my soapbox. Everyone in the world could have 90 minutes of learning about what generative AI is, the limitations, the capabilities, what does it mean for us going forward? I think it would be an amazing opportunity for our to get ahead of this. That was Amanda Bickerstaff, and just a quick taste of what is to come in this episode. This is part two of my conversation with Amanda. In part one, we heard some of Amanda's amazing story of how she went from a biology teacher in the Bronx to an EdTech CEO in Australia. In this episode, we hear more about her recently launched company called AI for Education and the work she is doing to make the tools accessible and effective for students and educators all over the world. Listen and find out how Amanda is so fearless and determined despite the rapid pace of change and uncertainty about the future of the AI tools and technology. So let's talk about AI for education. So what's what's the goal yeah so i uh, this is a true story i built this company within the first minute of using ChatGPT, essentially, at least the idea of it. I've never, I don't think, been so called to something so quickly before, but I, it was quite funny. It was, we were, I was kind of in and around the the back end of generative AI, like, but I hadn't used ChatGPT. And then when I sat down, um, if you, if you know me at all, you know that uh, the, the very silly origin story is I really hate rubrics. So my first kind of really big job was at Advancement Courses, which is a salary advancement PD company. And I have always worked like a crazy person. And we had 200 courses in 20 months. I was the only, like I either was a development editor of 20,000 pages of copy. I saw everything we did. And whether that was actually writing rubrics, three per course, or do, uh, reviewing them. So I did 600 rubrics in 20 months. And so it really has deeply scarred me. So the first thing I asked ChatGPT to do was to build me a rubric and it built me a rubric with very little prompting in a chart and it changed my life. Like I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know. Like we talk about like the lightning bolt or the yeah. light bulb, but I literally recognized in that moment, two things. One is that this, we have been talking about transformation and digital transformation, ed tech, the promise of ed tech for a long time. And it had never truly been possible. And it's actually one of my big, big issues I've had, even as an ed tech CEO. And I realized that the transformative nature of this, this magnitude change of potential for personalized learning, of the democratization of access to building with technology, the ability to help teachers save time to create more productive, balanced work lives was pretty amazing. But then at the same time, even knowing nothing about the limitations of ChatGPT, which I've learned a lot about now, was that I realized that we were going to have such an adoption curve problem in education sector. And that is, we, I know it's about being, you know, post-COVID fatigue, where people have actually rebounded to away from it technology instead of towards technology. We're very risk averse. We are slow to change and we are technically underskilled compared to other industries. And also we are ignored by other, by deep tech. And so it just became this moment was like, what can I do? And so I 
had, you know, part of the burnout was like, I didn't post on LinkedIn. So I hadn't posted on LinkedIn for nine months. If I now knew how much I would be on LinkedIn, I would have done a little bit during that time. So it wasn't starting from scratch, but I started posting a bit and I was like, you know, here's some things I'm learning. And then I, I sat down on a weekend. And that's how I found you, by the way, somebody (laughs) reposted something you posted on LinkedIn and I reached out to you. Yeah. Yeah, which is great. I mean, it's, it's, I'm very on LinkedIn right now. So sorry if anybody's like, stop, stop, stop posting, but no. And I built a website in a weekend, never built a website before. And one of the things I did was like, what would I need as an educator? And so I was like, I'm just going to build a prompt library. And it's actually something I realized only like last week is that I didn't even know what a prompt library was. Or if like, I never looked at one, I just like thought of it semantically. And I was like, okay, I'm going to build something. And I just went and did it. So I built 15 prompts that took people through an example that could be customized, an example that could be cut and pasted, and then some ways in which you could play with it and like make it work for you. And I put that into the world. And it has been, it's now that prompt library is now over 60 prompts. And it's been viewed by over 40,000 people from over 100 countries. Awesome. I mean, I I love it. And it is a new set of vocabulary for all of us, right? Totally. And, you know, my reaction too, right? I've been in tech, um, you know, for 30 years. And, you know, I had the same kind of response. The first time I used it, I was just like, oh, my God, this is a game changer. This is going to change everything. And so, yes, I, I totally get what you're doing and, and I love it. I, you know, I did spend some time on your website. Um, I did watch a couple of your, your webinars too. You You know, we did one tonight, actually, just a two hours ago. We did one, uh, with PlayLab, which is an open source nonprofit where we taught people how to actually build their own chatbots and prompt generators. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I watched the, um, reimagining teaching with AI, uh, with With Rich Rich Dixon. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was that was good. I actually pulled out a couple of quotes here, so I, I got to quote you on this. So, you said though, okay, Chat GPT is not reliable enough to pay for. I so, still agree with that. Okay, so and that's like two months ago. <laughs> that's two I, months I, ago, and you still agree with yourself? Good. I still, good. I still agree with myself, considering yes. how fast it's going. That could not be true in a couple more months. Yeah. So let's dig in a little bit on that um, concept, right? So. I mean, people are freaked out, right? And, and the volume of noise and data and articles and postings and recommendations and, you know, tools that are, that are emerging, it, it's absolutely overwhelming. Uh, even for me, a, a tech guy, I can't imagine for most teachers and school administrators out there, you know, their heads are just spinning and everybody I think is trying to sell them something right now, right? So they're yes. getting just flooded with people wanting them to buy something. And then you come out and say, chat GPT is not reliable enough to pay for. When will <laughs> there be stuff worth paying for here? And, and how do we transition this, right? How do we, and, and not that people have to pay for something, right? It's wonderful if it's <laughs> free and I, I shouldn't have to pay for it. You say accessibility, right? Making these tools available to everybody, but we know people are going to monetize it, right? Yeah. Um, 
I mean, you're running a business. At, at some point, you have to make money also, right? I know. <laughs> that, yeah, my business partner. <laughs> it was like, I became Oprah, apparently, when I started a business where I was like, you get a course and here's a free thing. <laughs> you get a prompt but, and uh, you get a prompt. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so I think there there's one thing I want to point out, and this is really important to understand. Because when you do get, when people are going to try to push you stuff that's paid, usually that would be a signal that it works and that it is good because it's been, but there's a reason why someone's asking you to pay for it. But because, so for those that are maybe not familiar with like building technology before, if you had 10,000 users versus a hundred thousand users, it would be an incremental cost that would be relatively okay. It'd be your database costs, your AWS costs, whatever you might have to do some, some, some work around that with volume. But the issue that's happening right now is that when you when a tool is built on a foundational model like OpenAI's GPT-4 3.5, Claude from Anthropic, Llama 2, etc., these API calls cost money and they are very expensive. Mm-hmm. And in fact, GPT-4 is like not just a little bit more expensive than the second one down, but very much more expensive. And actually the chips, GPUs, like if you're I was just reading this article about how realistically if you don't have these tools and you don't have a ton of them, then the possibility of building something on your own is going to be very, very difficult. And so what's happening is people are going to sell you things because it costs them a lot of money. If you use their tool a lot, you're, you're costing them more than the $10 a month that they're trying to push to you. So that's, so what's happened is there's this, this negative or this misalignment of incentives that's happening where people are putting things into the world that are not reliable. And when I say not reliable, every foundational model we just talked about has hallucinations, which are not just a, a bug, but a feature, which is the way in which it's very creative, but it also will absolutely tell you that something is real and it is not. It'll say it does math. It does not do math. It'll make up a URL, uh, a citation, et cetera. So that's one. There is significant bias. That's a part of every model. It's easiest to see in, in text to image models. If you ask uh, Stable Diffusion or MidJourney to give you a, what a nurse looks like, it's going to give you a very specific view of a nurse. Regardless, and if you ask for 100 of those, it will not be statistically right. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure we can all guess what that looks like. Same thing with CEOs, et cetera. And so we've got bias, but then we also have um, issues around privacy and safety where there's not a really clear understanding of where your data is being used or not, where what it's being used for. And then the final thing is that these tools are pretty, like they don't always work. Like they just legitimately don't always work the way you're supposed to. And even if you have it in a wrapper and it looks really great and it's easy, it doesn't mean it's going to have not going to have the same issues. And no one's been able to fine tune out hallucinations. And so I think that that's where it gets to a point when I I, I pay for ChatGPT4 only because I run a business where I teach people about AI and I want to show it. It's not that it doesn't do some things better, but at the same time, I can I build for free. Like what we build has to work for the the person that doesn't have the $20 a month to spend. And so I'm very happy building in that space, especially considering I'm using it as a brainstorming partner, not as something that's going to replace the, the work that I do. Sorry, that's my rant. I'm going to buy a soapbox with AI for education on it because I really like getting up on there. <laughs> well, it is fascinating. And well, I, I've seen this all through my my life, right? The pace of technology changes just gets faster and faster and faster, right? Yes. Um, the early parts of my career, you could become an expert in something and 
and you could have a whole career around it, 20, 30 years with the same technology, right? Now you learn something new and it's obsolete within six months. Uh, you've just got to learn something else new, right? <laughs> so this is a reality for, for all of us going into this phase two, because everything we think we know and understand about how to use AI and education now in six months, uh, a year from now will probably be a completely different story. So how do you kind of ride that wave, right? How do you stay on top of that curve, if you will, and help your customers deal with that phenomenon that it's what is true today will not be true in six months? So the first thing is, it's just really, really important to build capacity over expertise. Um, in the sense of I, when we do a PD or a, 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 you know, a webinar or we build something, we never say become an expert prompt engineer because honestly, prompt engineering might not exist in the current forum in a year or two year and a half for most consumers. And so what we say is we build capacity. So what, okay. So if we think about the way to do that is first, what is AI? And what has it been? And let's contextualize it in our experience. So one of the first things we do in a PD is I ask everyone to take out their phone and I ask if they you can recognize their face, even if they're wearing a hat or sunglasses. And that is a form of more traditional classical AI. And then we talk about other things like predictive text, Siri, et cetera. So we're found we're making this like grounded in the experiences we ever had because the first chatbot is not 10 years old, it's like 50 years old. And, you know, we've all had a terrible experience with a chatbot and like, like, but it's something that at least has been around for the idea of it has been around for a long time. The next thing we do is we show not tell. And so this is extremely important. One of the things that's happened and is that this has happened, this, this advancement has happened so much earlier than people, a technologist understood like like years and years, maybe even 25 years earlier than they instead for some of these kind of outputs that the, these AIs can do. And it's one of the reasons why, like, it's not just that, like, education was flat-footed, but everyone was, including the technologists that built the tools. And so you see the, the reaction of, you know, Google guys, like, this is dangerous. And, you know, then you have the thousand people that signed the, you know, the letter because they're kind of covering their butts a bit too, right? Because it happened much faster. So what we do is like, there's no correlate to another technology that's consumer facing that can do what this does. Like we, like what is the most advanced technology that most of us use is we know how to Google search realistically. Like we we're really good at Googling and we get to what we need. And so you would think that like maybe the chatbot would be like a better Google, but it's not a better Google. It's actually a worse Google because it's not connected to the internet. And, but it is, it is a magnitude change of being able to build and create new things with natural language, with just English words. So we really show, not tell. And then what we do is we talk about the capabilities and limitations. And we do that in a way to which to really situate and show that, that this is something that is, that is the worst it will ever be. It is something that is brand new, that it's going to have like major impact on our lives and that we need to understand what it does and what doesn't now to be able to see what's going to happen in the future. And then from there, what we do is like, like use it for like the rubrics. I hate rubrics. Like use it for a thing that you love or hate or don't want to do again. And that is a way to start situating it and building capacity so that you have it for your own practice. And then from there, what we do is we build on that to build policies, to build implementation plans, to build, you know, we have a free course, we have others coming out to for those that want to go forward. But that to us is enough. If everybody in the world, <laughs> this is my soapbox, everyone in the world could have 90 minutes of learning about what generative AI is. 
the limitations, the capabilities, what does it mean for us going forward? I think it would be an amazing opportunity for our to get ahead of this instead of having the technology happen to us like social media and have all the potential negative effects. Like, can we all learn together and then take the forward front as the consumers that are often the unspoken products of these tech companies that they make a lot of money off of? Like, can we now take an advantage and like be the people that say like, this is acceptable or not acceptable? The tools are really, really complicated. And you like there are things that the technologists don't understand how it works at all. And so that's something to consider. And also there have been slides backwards as well. And um, the way that even the sense of GPT-4 actually went backwards a bit um, in some of the key outcomes that it was being tested on. And so I think there's a lot of questions as to like, will these generative AI tools really get better? significantly better? Will there be new technology that's built from them? We're in this position where we train, you train these models on real data, people. And what's happening is we're flooding the internet with synthetic data. So there are more images created by stable diffusion and mid-journey than like images, (laughs) you know, like, and so that's crazy, nine months. But there are questions about like, do those actually make the models worse? Because the training data is now being trained. It could be trained on, like, you could put like, clog stuff into chat GPT and then like, are you creating this weird thing? And there's some research that shows that uh, it can make these, these models worse actually. So it'd be interesting. I think one of the things that's really fascinating to me and why we, we focus on capacity over expertise is that like, there's no clear winner yet. No one has won. Like it kind of seems like open AI is going to win, but like, are they like, we know, we know right now that it costs too much money to build a foundational model for pretty much anyone to play in that that realm, uh, GPT four costs one hundred million dollars, right? They lost OpenAI lost five hundred and fifty thousand five hundred fifty million dollars last year, or something crazy like that. Yeah. Um, and so the question that is really interesting is outside of that, like who's going to win? Like what's it going to be? Is it going to be in Google and it's going to be in Microsoft and it's going to be in these native searches. Is it going to be an open source? Is it going to be Alibaba or Tencent? Yeah, exactly. Is it exactly? Is it going to be China? Is it going to be India? Is it going to be these places that are further behind, like the UK and Europe? But yeah, it's really fascinating. Like, is it going to be some smaller organization that figures out like an application layer that's really cool and everyone uses it? I don't know. Like, this is so fascinating because. Like, who knows right now? We're like in a unprecedented time, which is like, at least in my lifetime, I've never felt like I was in an unprecedented time when it came to technology, like even with the internet. And I, I maybe I just didn't, wasn't old enough and didn't have, <laughs> I wasn't world wary enough, but like to be right, right now, we really do not know what is going to happen in the next five years. Yeah. All right. We're, we're getting down towards the, towards the end here. And so I have to ask you because I have witnessed you asking others. So <laughs> if you had a magic wand, what would you use it for? Um, if I had a magic wand, I would have deep tech care about education. I would, I, I would have them like, you know, really, really care about the education sector when they build these tools. Because I think that the one of the primary use cases of these tools is some sort of education, whether it is personal education, tutoring, support, schoolwork, or lesson planning, or something along those lines. And 
you know, one of the things that, you know, Sam Altman goes off on a trip and says, oh, like, you know, education's important. Like, like we, like we know it's important. He knew it was important, but it doesn't make people enough money. So if I had a magic wand, I would have deep tech really, really focus on education. Cause I think if you build for education, you build a responsible adopt, like you've built a responsible tool, an ethical tool, an equitable tool. And that could be, I think that's what the world needs right now. Like, I think we need, if we use education and like, like, you know, what makes education great, which is culturally responsive and it is, it is personalized and it is meaningful and it is practical and it is ethical and all these things. You can build a chatbot or, or these tools that could be better for the world, not just for the education sector. And so I, that would be what I would do. I would love people to say, and, 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 you know, Merlin Mind is an LLM, building an LLM for the classroom, which is really great. They're a great example of that. But I would love to see it being something that's a priority for every big model. Like this is an opportunity to like actually make things better. Yeah. Well, I'll give a shout out to Khan Academy too, because I I do think that they um, have done a a great job of um, making education accessible. Um, I also think they have done a tremendous job at incorporating AI and generative AI into their, into their tools. So I don't know if you've looked at recent output from them, but uh, yes, I'll give a shout out to them. And I'm hoping uh, somebody from <laughs> Khan Academy will come on the show uh, one of these days and, and, and talk about that. So last thing I just throw out there. So I asked chat GPT to predict for me what generative AI will be doing for education in five years. Okay. And uh, after a little bit of, you know, reprompting and fine tuning there, one of the things it spit out, it gave me an example of a, a biology simulation to help students understand complex ecosystem dynamics. So you were a biology teacher. I'm just curious what your reaction to that is. Will people use AI to build things like that? I mean, I, the best thing about generative AI is it takes the cost of creation with technology to almost zero. And so absolutely. I believe like we, we had this webinar tonight where, you know, we gave people 10 seconds of like, go build your own, like safe, responsible tool. And people are like off like a shot. And so I think the really exciting thing is that when it becomes part of our lives and it gets into the hands and if it still remains free and readily accessible, that you're going to have this opportunity to build everything that we want, like, you know, in ways in which that matter for the individual. And so you talk about a simulation, like great science teachers can see the value in that. Absolutely. But what's going to make it even more interesting is that if it is an ecosystem that the students are familiar with, or that, you know, it's something like, in the Bronx, we're talking about pigeons and rats and, you know, like it's, it's completely different than when I was in Australia and there was a ton of wallabies and echidnas and things. And so I think that this is something that's really exciting. And it's, it's, I, the promise of personalization of learning, of opening up the ability to create things that really are fit for purpose and matter for people and put them in the middle of it. So that it becomes something that is both intrinsically and extrinsically motivating due to like the engagement component of it. I just think that's just an awesome opportunity. And I would love to see that science demo for simulation. (laughs) Any last words? What else would you like to share with our audience? Encouragement, uh, 
I mean, for us, we are really focused on the responsible like adoption of, and navigation of AI. So as we talked about now, so if you can do two things, if you're a leader of an education institution, what I would love you to do is one is if you don't have a policy in place that's very simple that identifies the appropriate and inappropriate use of generative AI tools um, across your school community, please do so. Even if it is a work in progress, you can go to our website. I wrote one last week because I got a bit frustrated. That's not happening. And the second is create that time where your school community can build that 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 basic level of AI literacy and uh, like normalize that you use it. So if you're using it for a PD, like say it. So like we're normalizing this for everyone. And then if you're an educator. I would love you to like think about like getting out there and doing it and finding the the path in which this helps your you find your balance and build better things so you can focus on teaching, but also build your capacity so you can talk to students about it. Because I promise you, your students are going to use it more than you are, and they're going to be significantly faster and advanced. Snapchat just released literally a selfie package where they can make fake selfies like or generative AI selfies for a dollar in Snapchat. They're going to go fast. And then if you're an ed tech or an innovator, build for your audience. Make sure that you have absolutely identified what the needs are, what the problem is. Do not start with a solution. If you're thinking about generative AI, please do not start with a solution. Find a problem that matters and then build towards it. We have enough solutions. We have a lot more problems. And so I think that that's just such an important thing. And make sure you listen to teachers, students, and community members because we often miss that as well. So that's my, <laughs> and if you're just a person oh. that wants to hang out, like come, I'm always happy to meet people. Um, reach out to me on LinkedIn. We love hanging out with people from all over the world. And I, I, you know, it's a privilege to be able to do this work. All right. Well, thank you so much, Amanda, for being on the Education Innovators podcast. Uh, this has been a, a special privilege and I really appreciate your time. Okay, so Amanda called out Deep Tech, says she would use her magic wand to get Deep Tech to care more about education. Like I said, Amanda is fearless. She tells it like it is, and I hope you found our conversation as refreshing and inspiring as I did. I've got links in the show notes so you can find more information about Amanda and AI for Education. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and share. My next guest is Andre Thomas, director of the Live Lab in the School of Performance, Visualization, and Fine Arts at Texas A&M University, who was named one of the top 100 EdTech influencers. He's doing some absolutely amazing work developing learning games at a quality level that really looks like a AAA video game. Watch for those episodes to drop. If you have comments or suggestions, my email address is in the show notes. I would love to hear from you. I'm Eric Byron. Thanks for listening. And thanks to all those education innovators out there. You are making a difference.